Welcome to Fellowship 1-7, a biblical podcast from Child Evangelism Fellowship for the Christian community. On this podcast, we discuss various biblical topics, passages, and truths, and how those truths have impacted the lives of people around the world. I'm your host, Elizabeth Griggs. Today, we're sitting down with Jeremy Lloyd and talking about the personality and deity of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So, Jeremy, can you give us just a little bit of an insight of who you are and a little bit of your history and ministry and CEF and all of that? Sure. So I've been here about six months now. I'm kind of one of the new guys still. And as an editor, one of the, I can edit anything from podcast scripts to video scripts to booklets that we put out and everything in between. Get to do a little bit of writing as well. Before that, I have been in ministry as things like an interim pastor, deacon, pulpit supply, things along those nature, along that nature, and have also been in the medical field as well before that. Okay, nice. And you, we were talking yesterday a little bit, and you were familiar-ish with CEF recently, so it's kind of like a newer... It is, yeah, CEF's pretty new to me as well, so all I know is what I've learned since I've been working here. Which is a lot. <laughs> which, is, which is a lot. I knew a lot of people that knew about CEF before I got here, but I, I didn't really know about CEF until, until I started, but... I've grown more acquainted over the past few months. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read our next two statements of faith that we have in our about page. Uh, so we believe in the personality and deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, begotten of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and truly God and truly man. And then the next one that we're going to be discussing is that we believe in the personality and deity of the Holy Spirit, the source and power of all acceptable worship and service, the infallible interpreter of the infallible word, who indwells every true believer and is ever present to testify of Christ, seeking to occupy us with him and not with ourselves or our experiences. So that's a lot of big words. Yeah. In two, two-ish sentences, kind of. Um, but we're going to kind of break that down and talk about what each of those means. So can you kind of help us define what a personality and deity both kind of mean? Sure. So deity just very simply means God. We believe in one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we, we believe in the full personhood of each of those. And so we, we think of each of the members of the Godhead as a person, as in that they have a personality that it's not, uh, as for instance, the Holy Spirit is not a force like gravity or something along those lines. We believe that the, the Holy Spirit is a person with a personality and, and function and the rest. And so when people look at the doctrine of the Trinity, those that may not be Christians, they might look at it and say that it's perhaps a contradiction. Well, how can you, you say you have one God, but there's three of them there. How, how can this be? And so we want to say first, it's not a contradiction. So if you think of Aristotle, he, he came up with the law of non-contradiction. It's pretty easy to understand that he said A cannot be A and non-A at the same time. Basically, you can't be one thing and the exact opposite at the same time. Right. So it would be a contradiction if we were saying that we believed in only one God and only three gods. Well, that, that's a contradiction. But we're saying we believe in one God, and this one God exists in three different persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's mystery to that. We don't fully comprehend it, and that's okay. But one of the things that's important for us to know is, is trying to use metaphors to explain the Trinity is probably not the best way to go about it, because you can very quickly end up in 
one heresy or another if you try to, to to use something like a, a three-leaf clover to try and explain the Trinity. So it's okay that we don't fully comprehend it. Any God that we could fully comprehend wouldn't be a very great God. Maybe a good example to think of would be if we're thinking about writing the book of Romans. If you say, well, who wrote the book of Romans? Well, the, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. Well, I thought it was the Word of God. I thought God wrote the book of Romans. Well, yes, he, he did. God inspired the Apostle Paul to write the book of Romans, and he, he inspired Paul through his own experiences, through Paul's own specific writing style, through his own relationship with the church in Rome. And so Paul and God wrote the book of Romans. Well, how does that work? I have no idea. <laughs> and that's okay. Having some mystery there is perfectly fine. Right. Right. We kind of talked about that. Um, Moses and I met the other day, and we we're talking about that, how that kind of establishes God as different from other gods sure. as well, because other gods, they have this history, you understand everything about them. And then with our God, no, you're not meant to understand everything. That's where faith comes in. Sure. That's sure. where you have this connection. And even as the word the word holy, it kind of has a double meaning. It, we, we, of course, understand it to mean free from sin, which, which it means, but it also means transcendent or, or completely different than anything mm-hmm. else that exists. So I'm going to kind of narrow this down a little bit for us because we, we discussed, you know, the deity and the personality of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but how do we establish uh, the deity of Christ and the Holy Spirit? Yeah, so if we want to start with Jesus, one of the most obvious places to start is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John says in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's obviously talking about Jesus there, and he says in verse 1 that this Word was God. And if you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll say, oh, well, you know, you, you guys are just, you're interpreting this wrong, or you, you mm-hmm. guys are looking at the wrong manuscripts and say that it, that's not, it's not actually God, it's it's a little G-O-D, God. He's, he's just this large creature that God created, but he's not actually God. And so while I disagree completely with that, we could also go to John 1.3. And in John 1.3, the apostle is talking there, and he says something very interesting about Christ being the one who created the universe. And so what he says there in John 1.3 is all things were made through him, that is the word or that is Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so the question that you need to ask then is we understand that God is the only thing in the universe that was not created. Mm -hmm. So God was not created. And so John very clearly He's, he's kind of beaten, beaten a dead horse here. He's just kind of saying over and over again, Jesus was not created. Jesus is God. Right. You're kind of having to do these gymnastics to try and say that John's not saying that Jesus is God here. He said, all things were made through him, that is Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. So you can't come back and say like a Jehovah's Witness would say, and say, well, he was the first thing. No, 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 because John says right here, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so that's a, a pretty clear way to establish the fact that Jesus 
is God. Another really great way that, that I like to, to do this is looking at Isaiah chapter 6. Mm-hmm. And so in that passage, most people are familiar with that passage because it's when Isaiah goes into the temple and, and he sees this, this vision of God. And so Isaiah says there in Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so what the angels say there, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's the capital L-O-R-D, meaning that's God's personal name, Yahweh. Or what even Jehovah's Witnesses say, that's that's Jehovah. And so that's that's the Yahweh name there. So that's who Isaiah is seeing. He is seeing Yahweh. But... When we go to John chapter 12, John actually references this exact passage, and it says there, John 12, beginning at the end of verse 36, when Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then he goes on to quote that passage in Isaiah 6 later on that I haven't read yet. He said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And then John jumps back in and says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. He's talking about Jesus. Because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. So very, very clearly there, John's taking a passage where it refers in Isaiah to to God as Yahweh. And John is saying that one that, that Isaiah saw, that one the angels were crying out is Yahweh, that is this man. Right. That, that we saw his glory. And I've never seen that parallel before. So seeing that, because, I mean, I, I grew up doing Bible quizzing and being, you know, picking apart scripture and learning how to argue things and all that kind of stuff. But seeing that just so clearly, mm-hmm. I love how God does this. You you read something, you hear something that you've heard your entire life, and then he's like, no, no, no. Wait, let me show you the mystery and the amazing things that I have tied into this. Because just hearing it that way even, it's like, oh, okay, now I see how God himself is using, you know, these apostles who, you know, John had a background in the Torah and knew, you know, this is what the other Jews would relate to. And so tied that into... Yeah, And, and we want to be a people of the book. And so a lot of trying to prove that Jesus was God, or denying it rather, comes down to just saying, well, it it can't mean that. You know, it can't mean what it says, which really is actually what what Satan said in in Genesis 3 when he he came to Eve and he said, did God really say that? And so a lot of this is just taking it at face value. This is what it says. I mean, it's it's there, and you can can try and say, well, let's try not to let it say what it actually says. Now, with regards to the Holy Spirit— there's a couple of fun ones to, to consider. The, the mo- one most a people probably... fun ones. <laughs> yeah, so the, the one that most people probably go to is Acts chapter 5. And so you remember there's Ananias and Sapphira, this husband and wife who had this plot of land, and people were bringing in their money and giving it to the church. And they decided, well, we're going to sell this plot of land, and we're going to go and give some of the money to the church. We're going to tell them that we gave the whole amount, but we're going to keep some of it for ourselves. And so Peter, just by the 
the Spirit being pressed upon Peter understood that they had lied. Peter was given this knowledge by God to, to understand that they were lying and that this is what they were doing. And, and Ananias came on his own. Sapphira hadn't come to the church that day yet. But it says, but Peter said, this is Acts 5, 3 and 4, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And so right there, Peter says, uh, in the early part of that, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And at the very end, he says, you've lied to God. So very plainly there, putting those two things together, saying, this is who you've lied to. And, and so he's, he's conflating God and the Holy Spirit yeah. as, as one right there. Another passage is in 1 Corinthians 6. And Paul is talking there about Christians being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is 1 Corinthians 3, and I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 6 as well. So 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So when believers come to a knowledge of, of Christ, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. They're, they are the temple of God. Mm -hmm. And so they're the temple of God because that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. And so Paul says it both ways there. He said, you're, you're God's temple and God's spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, lives in you. And then he says in 619, a few chapters later, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So we are the temple of God, not because God lives outside of us and he sends some spirit to live inside of us, but because God himself, by his Holy Spirit, dwells inside right. of the believer. And then Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 6, for the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So here and in a number of other places, God talks about saying, I will, I will live inside of them. I will make my dwelling inside of them. And if God is saying this, saying that he is going to do that, and then the only thing that happens is that the Holy Spirit lives in us, then, then there's no other way that God ever intends for himself to live inside of us because it's obvious then that the Spirit is God that, that lives mm -hmm. inside of us. And in, in Romans 8, Paul refers to this as the first fruits of the Spirit. So you think of the first fruits. If you, if you raise crops, you know that if you have grapes or corn or whatever else, it is that first little bit that grows up, you, you get to taste those first fruits, and that tells you, that gives this, this promise, if you will, that there's a harvest that, yeah. that's going to come. And that promise for those of us who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us is that one day not only will God's Spirit live within us, but we will live in the fullness of God's presence in, in heaven forever kind of answered my next question for you because I was going to ask, well, what does this mean for a believer? But I mean, obviously you touched on that already, that God is in our life and we have this promise through him. Sure. And, and let me just say this too. The Holy Spirit is there because he, he is there to make us more holy. So Christians yeah. can, if you will, feed the Holy Spirit by by praying and by spending time reading God's mm -hmm. word. It's it's almost the, the fuel that the Holy Spirit uses to make us more holy, to make us more into the image of Jesus. And so there's this really great story my dad used to tell when he was a pastor. And he would say when, uh, I think it was Michelangelo, was the one who made the statue of David, this, this famous statue. And so he has this and is presented and some people just came and said, man, how do you take this this slab of marble and just turn it into 
this incredible statue of David and Michelangelo says, well, I take the slab of marble and then I take away everything that doesn't look like David. And it's this great idea that that's what the Holy Spirit does yeah. for those of us he lives inside of, where he, he takes away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. And so when we, when we pray and when we're spending time in God's word, he's convicting us of sin and telling us not to do things that we have been doing. And so we, we grow, hopefully, in progressive sanctification and grow, grow in holiness and are becoming more like Jesus mm-hmm. in this period of life that we're in, our sanctification, until we get to the end, our glorification, when we're made perfectly like Christ. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a great note for us to end on. We have run out of time for this podcast, but thank you for joining sure, us. Sure. I have very thoroughly enjoyed talking with you about this. It's a deep subject, yeah. and I think we could obviously go on for hours sure, about it. Sure, sure. But um, just putting it in a nutshell and kind of helping us understand a little bit more about the deity and personality of Jesus. Um, if you'd like to learn more about who CEF is and what we believe, you can visit cefonline.com about. This will also be linked in the show notes. Be sure to check out Unite Kids Radio, where we unite kids with the gospel through adventures and foundational biblical truths. Give us a like and subscribe to keep up to date on both this podcast and our kids program. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Mm